0: The family of a local teenager says she
1: never would have left home without calling. It's praying for the best.
2: I want my daughter home, man. And if she can't come home, I just want to know
3: where she's at.
1: These posters around the towns of Livermore and Jay beg anyone with information to come forward. Posters that Richard puts up
3: every spring, never losing hope. an arrest in a nearly four decade old cold case. Thanks to cutting edge DNA technology, the arrest happening exactly 39 years to the day. When Parabon Nano Labs
0: used that sample to create 3D models of the suspected killer's face.
3: It's heartbreaking. We miss her and we're gonna find her. We're gonna keep looking until we do.
2: It's like a never ending nightmare. It doesn't end. It keeps returning and coming back.
0: What if I told you that back in the summer of 1970, three young men, 15, 17, 19, jumped the border into the U.S. from Canada, got into a fistfight at Dairy Queen, got a ride from a stranger to a nondescript part of the highway, set up camp on an active train track, and fell asleep side by side between the rails. They slept so deeply that two hours after the sun rose, they didn't wake up to the sound of a train whistle or the rumble of the train bearing down on them.
1: The train's engineer never saw the three try to get out of the way or even flinch as the engine passed over them. What if I told you that within four hours the case was closed it was considered a tragic accident? Not once was foul play even considered, and the thought was vehemently opposed. Three young men, three boys, were shipped back to their families with no questions answered.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Locating the Lost, Season 1, Episode 2, The Cape Breton Boys on the Track. Tonight, we're speaking with Lorne Novak, the older brother of one of the victims, Kenny Novak.
3: Okay, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, listen to my story, and uh, maybe we can do, do something together with it.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking the time to, to tell us your story.
3: Okay. Like, like I said to Travis, I want to probably focus in on the lack of police investigation on that accident.
0: Yeah, right. that there seems to be an awful lot of it.
3: It seems to be a, quite a problem down there in Maine from what I've been reading online.
1: Yeah, it is. Absolutely.
3: And you saw the letter that Mandora sent me apologizing for, for what he said to, to the other guy.
1: Yeah, I posted that earlier today. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's ridiculous.
3: Yeah. But that's, that was, mind you, that was 30 years after the accident, right? I got that letter from him in 2010, but I'll explain that as we go through.
1: All right. Okay. Can you um describe what life was like back then in 1970?
3: Life back in 1970, because we were influenced because we lived so close to the United States, of course, 500 miles away. It was a bit of a hippie era.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: There was uh, lots of acid and pot going around and stuff like that. And everybody was into, into concerts and partying and whatnot. It was a lot different than it is today. Okay, the story starts the week before July 9th, 1970. My mother drove my brother and Terry Birch, to a popular beach site called Inganish which is about an hour and a half from my hometown of Sydney, Nova Scotia on a supposed to be a 10 day two week camping trip mm-hmm. while at Inganish they met a, another individual by the name of T- David Burles, who we all know each other I mean we come from a small town like 30,000 people so we knew each other on July Eleventh, my mother was visited by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police asking questions about where her younger son Kenny was at. She was under the impression that he was in Holt he was in English Beach Camping.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The officer returned about four hours later and said no, he was found dead on the train tracks in Halton, Maine. Oakfield, Maine.
1: So the uh the officers came to your home. Can you describe that? Were you there when they showed up?
3: No, I wasn't home at the time when the officers showed up.
1: Mm. And now you were 17 at the time, right?
3: I was 17 at the time, yeah.
1: Now, had they invited you to go along with them, or did you just have your own things you were doing? No, no.
3: I was I was with my own friends in, in Ontario at the time. I didn't even know he went camping. I was already <laughs> long gone.
1: Oh, yeah. So how did you find out? your mom call you, or...?
3: Well, we had a phone call at my brother's place uh, shortly afterward from another brother saying that our mother phoned him and told him that Kenny was killed.
1: Hmm, I can't even imagine.
3: The uh, general consensus from one and it still is the general consensus, from the people that I hung around with and grew up with, it was no accident.
1: How long had they been gone? You said they were going for a camping trip?
3: They were going to Inganish for uh, 10 days to two weeks. And David Burrows convinced them, from what I gather, from the information I've received over the years, to uh, make a trip down to Boston, Massachusetts to meet a couple of girls they met in Inganish.
1: Now, how old were the boys at this time?
3: Terry Burt was 19, David Burrows was 17, and Kenny Novak was uh, 15.
0: And did they, uh, they didn't make it, obviously, to Boston, right? The, their first stop was through Maine.
3: Yeah, they jumped the border in a place called, uh, I could pronounce it wrong, Hogs, Hogson, which is just a burb of, uh, of uh, Holton, Maine. Mm-hmm. They jumped the border there at about uh, 10 o'clock at night. At that time, they met another individual by the name of Royden Hunt, who drove them down to Highway 2 and the I-95 where the train tracks crossed. And apparently they walked, from what Royden Hunt has told me, they walked down the train tracks and that's the last he's seen of them.
0: So he was the last person to to see them that we know of, right?
3: That's right.
1: So I heard a story about possibly a fist fight or something that they were involved with when they were down there. Did you hear that?
3: I didn't hear that. What's up?
1: There was a fist fight with another kid, I guess. Or an argument happened. Apparently,
3: there was a fight at the uh, at the Dairy Queen or at the ice cream parlor in in uh, in Holton. That's never been confirmed, but that is a rumor that's been going around.
1: And no one really knows what was about, if it even happened at all.
3: No one. the The problem with this story is <clears throat> Sheriff Crandall. Within 15 minutes, the investigation was done.
2: Mm-hmm. He
3: was convinced it was just a tragic accident. He washed his hands from it. He had the autopsy done. He had both all parents or all fathers show up in Holton, Maine, claim the bodies and get them out of the States as quick as possible.
0: So what, what supposedly had happened that night anyways? What was the, the official report from the time they, they got into uh, Maine?
3: The official report from the police? Yeah. there is no official report. There was never, We've never heard anything. We never, hmm. All Crandall told us was that it's just an accident and that's the way it is.
0: So what did they tell everyone it happened, though? What was the story? Uh,
3: what the, the official s- the story? story was that they fell asleep on the train tracks and the train ran over That's the right. story.
0: And it, it sounds pretty nonsensical, though, right? Because there was three of them, uh, essentially, you know, young men who the, the, the train had come by, what, at seven in the morning?
3: Seven o'clock in the morning, two hours and ten minutes after sunup.
0: Right. After sunup on, with some kids that were, you know, out on an adventure, essentially, like they're not really going to want to miss a lot of time.
3: No, they're running from the from the Border Patrol at the time. <laughs> oh right. When I was at the accident scene, and you can look at it on Google Earth, there's a field right beside those train tracks. Mm-hmm. With an entrance off the old I ninety five to that field. I asked Trendle's deputy if they actually walked up into the field looking for tire tracks or and whatnot. And the answer I got from the deputy is why bother? Wow.
0: And the uh, the the other weird part about all of this, right, is not only just sleeping on the train tracks, but like th- they were in their sleeping bags. And we
3: don't we don't know if they're actually in the sleeping bags or if the sleeping bags were just laying on top of them because of the condition doesn't. Well,
1: that's what I was going to ask you. Right.
3: We're in. I mean. I never saw any pictures. I never saw any police report. I saw nothing.
0: Yeah. But the the engineer, the train engineer, had uh, claimed that he, as soon as he saw something, realized it was sleeping bags, he uh, let off the horn and hit the brakes, right? Like, trains make a lot of noise. There's There's no way those boys would have slept
3: through it. The train... Decibels on a horn are 125 decibels, which is louder than a rock concert. Right. That train let the whistle go at the crossing, which is less than a quarter mile away from where they were found.
0: Oh, and that was before he even noticed them, right?
3: Before he even noticed them, he let that whistle go at Timothy Road Crossing. Okay. And then another less than a quarter mile later... At 150 feet, when he came around the bend, he saw what he thought was a rubber raft on the tracks.
1: Well, I can tell you, Lauren, that if uh, I was a young man sleeping on the tracks, I'd keep my ears peeled for a, a sound of a horn. How about you?
3: Well, we come from a—I come from a steel city, steel coal mining area. We know trains. I mean, right? You enter that city from any direction, you have to cross train tracks. You had great respect for a train. We knew people that were killed on trains prior, and, and lost arms and legs, and so we always had great respect for a train.
0: Now the uh, the other part that I found kind of odd about all of this is uh, they had claimed that you know the boys might not have known exactly what they're doing, or you know that they they decided to sleep on the tracks, but the the guy. Uh, was it Terry Burt? Now, he's the one that they actually identified, originally identified them from, right, because his name was on the sleeping bag? That's correct. It, to me, someone who puts their name on their sleeping bag is someone who probably uses it a fair amount, who probably wouldn't decide to sleep on railroad tracks, maybe find a shelter out in the woods, per se.
3: That's right. That's right. And, and how David Burles was... Identified it was from a note that he had from his girlfriend in uh, in Sydney by the name of Margie Burke. That's how they identified David Burles.
1: Right, and then they they tracked her down, right, to ask who she had given that note to.
3: They they tracked Margie. The RCMP went to Margie Burke, asked her about the note, and she said it, she sent it to David Burles. So then identified. Of course, Terry was, Kenny was it identified through uh, through Terry.
1: Because they hung out together.
3: Because they hung out together. Here's the last one identified. Yeah. The older it, people, the older it, people accepted Crandall's story. Right. Respect yeah, authority. Nothing right.
0: Nothing about it sounds like an accident at all. Like, no. like you, they, you would have to assume that the kids were uh, extremely incompetent. But I'm, I'm not assuming that's the case. Obviously.
3: I would. I'm assuming that they thought they were just dumb hippies.
0: Right, and, and that that support. that was part of the time too, right? I remember reading something that or hearing something that during that time, like people really didn't like hippies, and maybe especially a border jumping hippie.
3: Well, another problem was is that Crandall also looked at the fact that they were Canadians, and he was not interested.
1: Hmm. Right. Do you have any idea how long Crandall was uh, working as an officer at that point?
3: I think about fifteen years prior to that. He so he wow. Man.
1: So he had the experience, not like a, a rookie officer out there just making a judgment call. He had the experience to look at a situation, try to deduce what took place.
3: He did have the experience to some degree. I don't know if he was quite competent enough to handle something that big. Right. He did he did write my mother and my mother did write him a few letters until she passed away and he said he always wondered what actually happened himself. Hm. He actually so, lived in Oakfield. He lived about two miles from the accident scene.
1: Oh wow. It makes you wonder how many times he walked down the tracks and looked at it.
3: And I know that talking to people in Oakfield over the years through Facebook of course, that Crandall always wondered what happened.
0: Hmm. Yet he, he blew it off as an accident. That's perfect. The and then I think his,
3: I think his conscience got to him after a while. Right. And also, the people in Oakfield, Maine were pressing him for, uh, for information and, and to solve the case, and he couldn't solve it.
1: So, so tell me about that morning. I understand that uh, they had no restrictions on that area, right? They just let townspeople walk in and look around? And
3: Well, the train crew notified the previous train crew they had an accident. Of course, all of the previous train crew came up in Oakfield, such a small little place of, I think, 750 people. News traveled fast, and the town showed up to have a look at some people. Quite a few people showed up at the accident scene to have a look at it, and Crandall didn't stop them.
1: So there's no preservation, no preservation of uh, anything there, I guess.
3: Any well, evidence of, of any evidence that could be there? Right, it was trampled over.
0: Now there was some other weird stuff about it too, right? Like the the boys between the three of them had a little over six dollars on them. And there was a bunch of envelopes strewn around too, right? That's right. Now, why would a couple of boys planning on spending 10 days out in a different country only have $6 on them?
3: Well, that's an interesting question because I've been told by one or two other people that they gave them, they had over $800 on them. Really? And the money's just seemed to have disappeared. What One of the reasons they were going to the States was to buy some uh, asset and bring it back to Canada. Okay. And that didn't happen. And what, where, where that $800 went, I have no idea.
0: Right. Or it, it did potentially happen, but...
3: It just disappeared. Whether somebody picked it right. up or... Hmm. It was gone before they were found. I don't know.
1: Potentially it could be motive.
3: Well, Maine at the time was a, was a, was a drop off center for drugs from Canada being flown in and dropped off, and people would pick them up. And I always looked at that theory too that maybe they stumbled into a uh, a drug drop off.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: They're done in, and of course, the train tracks are right there beside the field, and they're dragged down the bank and put on the train tracks and destroyed the evidence.
0: Yeah, and, and the sleeping bags would make sense too because. Dragging a body is not easy. If, if they were killed beforehand, it would make a lot more sense
3: to drag them in a sleeping bag. Yes, of course it would. Especially if there's more than one person. Mm-hmm. I mean, there would have to be more than one person to, uh, to accomplish that feat. Right. Looking, looking at, at the autopsy reports, they weighed about a, between 125 and 135 pounds apiece. They weren't big yeah. kids,
0: no. Nope. But still, dragging someone from, you know, any distance, it, even even over forty feet, will get tiring.
3: Yeah, it would be. But it, I mean, it, they got dropped off shortly before eleven o'clock. The train hit them at seven. You yeah, lots of time to drag a body.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's weird too that that was the, the place chosen, like at the, at the tracks. First, on both sides, why a person who would want to get rid of the bodies would put them on the tracks, or why they would want to sleep there. None of that really makes a whole lot of sense. Although, well, maybe not, though, right, with that sharp corner.
1: Unless you are covering up a crime.
0: Yeah.
3: Unless they're covering up evidence, yeah. If you look at the autopsy reports, I did post them. You'll notice that the bodies, especially the head area, was quite destroyed. Right. So, and the lack of blood in the bodies was another thing that spurred my interest.
0: Lack of blood in the
3: bodies? Well, the body, the bodies didn't have a lot of blood in them, and there wasn't a lot of blood on the ground, from what I'm told.
1: Right, almost like something happened somewhere else, and they were placed there. Yeah. I also read that um, two of the three had they noted pale kidneys, which I guess is lack of blood as well,
3: right? Lack of blood,
1: yeah.
0: Is that a is it? Can that happen post mortem, or is that something that has to happen before death?
3: Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a pathologist. No, oh. <laughs> I can't answer that question. What I can answer is, can can say there was never core temperature was never taken.
1: Yeah, that seems pretty basic. Oh, right.
3: I mean, the bodies were just picked up, and they assumed they died then and there in the spot, but the autopsies were performed the next day at Dunn Funeral Home in Holton.
1: And that's the other thing. This happened on Friday, and how soon were those bodies sent back to Canada? Was it by Monday, I believe?
3: We had had the bodies by Sunday night. Jeez.
1: That seems awfully quick.
3: In a sealed casket.
0: And that's autopsy, quote-unquote, paper processing for, you know, the incident.
3: For three people.
0: For three people. And it was all handled that quickly.
3: In the funeral home. Wow. wow. Not at the hospital. So I know the bodies, it... The bodies were transported from the accident scene directed to the funeral home.
1: So I talked to you before and... um You had mentioned about the paperwork. Was the paperwork still at the funeral home up until just a few years ago or something?
3: 2010, I decided to, because of computers and getting a little bit more proficient in them, I decided to start having... It started out, I wanted to put a plaque at the accident scene. Yeah. I contacted a Rochelle County commissioner, and he gave me all kinds of reasons why I can't do it. He then contacted Sheriff Jim Monroe and said, Look, you got to get this guy off my case because he wants to put a plaque where these three boys were killed in 1970. Speaking with Jim, he called me and emailed back and forth a couple times to Jim Monroe. And that's when I got the email sent to me by mistake saying this should be the end of a problem. For he didn't say Mr. Novak, he said Novak. On the yeah. letter, he did say Mr.
1: And who was that addressed to? Who was he sending that to?
3: It was addressed to uh, Doug Boudreaux, the commissioner of the Rooster County.
1: Okay. Yeah, that that seems that, fairly that, insensitive that, to that say something like that. my
3: interest a little bit, and that's why I started looking a little bit deeper. I didn't find out the deaths were never registered in Maine until 2010.
0: And this happened, what, July 10th, 1970?
3: Yes. So well, for forty years, forty years, that never registered.
1: That that just seems so unbelievable to me. That's bizarre. Yeah.
3: And then pushing Jim Monroe to go to the funeral home to pick up those autopsy reports, unsigned autopsy reports.
0: Wow. And where, and it was even in the autopsy report that said there was, or or one of the reports, right, where it said there was a significant lack of blood at the crime scene. Yeah. And they still were very vehement about there not being any foul play involved.
3: That's right. They found also found no drugs and no alcohol, no barbiturates in their system.
1: Right. Yes, that's a good point.
3: Nothing in their system. Not even any food. Hmm. So... I mean, I believe I believe the the toxicology reports. I believe that the gentleman that did the autopsies was probably in the seventies. Now he may have missed something. Hmm. But to get three bodies out of the states back into into a foreign country with no death certificate raised my eyebrows too.
1: Yeah. How does that take place? Yeah.
3: That's that took place because the three fathers identified the bodies and Sheriff Grendel let them go. Oh, man. It was total incompetence on on part of Sheriff Crandall. I mean, he appeared to be a nice guy. He was very friendly when I was there and and remorseful. And reading his obituary in the paper through the computer, he's done a lot of good for the Holton area, but I hear I've also heard some things that he was not all that great. Yeah. And this is a case in point. I think he screwed up for, for lack of a better word yeah it this, just
0: it seems so weird that I don't know just all of it all of it seems weird the the them being on the tracks them claiming that there is no foul play like all the all the extra stuff like why would a couple of kids be down there with only six dollars in their pocket a bunch of extra sleeping on train tracks Bunch of envelopes around, letting uh, civilians walk around on the premises of, of, you know, a scene of a
1: death,
3: a tragic death. Yeah, and he actually worked for B A Railroad before he became sheriff.
1: So he would known what you know, more or less, what to do and what to look for. You'd think.
3: You would think. I mean, I don't know how long he worked for Bangor Rustic Railroad, but
1: what about? What about his deputies that was there? Did any of them ever say anything to anyone or question anything?
3: I talked to one of the deputies. I got his name written down here somewhere. They're both, all three of them are dead now. Right. And I did talk to one deputy if he went up on the bank and had a look for tire tracks or evidence up there, and he simply said to me, why bother? Just a little, maybe a 10-foot bank you had to climb up to have a look. but..." And they didn't clean the scene up. I mean, there was still pieces of uh, paper and and sleeping bag mater- material still spread on the tracks. A month later. Wow. And they said, and I said, why isn't this cleaned up? And they said, well, we're we supposed to pick up every piece. Yeah. I said, no, maybe you should have washed it. And another thing that spurred that got me going. When they took us to the accident scene, they put me in a separate car from my parents with a deputy. I didn't drive from, from Holton, Maine to Oakfield with with Crandall. I went with one of his deputies.
1: Why would I mean, that what, be? What what do you think the reason would be for that?
3: I think Crandall wanted to say something to my parents, or want to hear something from my parents. Oh, okay. Another strange thing is that they found a U.S. Army button off a jacket. I don't remember the three boys having a U.S. Army jacket button or anything else in my life.
0: And They found that at the scene of the...
3: They found that at the scene, yeah. Yeah. They gave it to my father. He said he didn't want it.
1: Yeah, I don't
0: blame Right, you. who wants a souvenir, right? It's kind of a little insensitive.
3: I wouldn't want it either. But, like I say, Crandall... And four hours later, of course, it's on the wire, and he's getting phone calls from newspaper guys, and he's all saying then that it was just an accident. Holton's a very small town, as you know. It's probably maybe 7,000 people, if I remember correctly. Right. Oakfield, again, it's 750 people, not many. And the Oakfield Train Museum has no information on that accident, which I find kind of strange.
0: Yeah, that's a little weird.
3: They had no. They can't remember the accident, and I've had other people look into it, newspaper people and and private individuals, and they're going to get me all this information. And as soon as they, after that, it stops. I get no information from them at all.
1: Yeah, I don't. Been, I don't know what it is with this state. It's almost like, I don't. I don't know if it's cover up or just covering up from their bad mistakes and their incompetencies.
3: Daryl Granville Jr. Who was assistant police chief of Holton? Oh. Never, he never answered me back. Hmm. He's now head of DEA in Maine. Oh, he is? Or northern Maine, I guess, yeah. He never answered me back. And neither has Menor or the new sheriff. They're telling me that the courthouse in Holton has been remodeled three or four times since 1970 and that some of the police reports were done in paper or in pencil and they got water damaged. I can't see him doing a police report in pencil. Right. I can't believe that they lost an accident report where three people were killed.
1: None of that three kids. You know, they're they were yeah. kids. And from
0: from from a from a different country. Like from a different like, all of it is just so absurd.
3: The RCMP have no reports on it. Internal Affairs Canada has no reports on it. They didn't even know about it.
1: Swept under the rug.
3: It's all swept under the rug.
1: Can you uh, talk to us about Kenny?
3: Sure. It's, uh, Kenny was a, was a smart kid. He was actually taking Latin in school in 7, 8, and 9. Long hair, granny glasses, a bit of a John Lennon looking guy. Short, five foot six, five foot seven, brownish blonde hair, thin. Typical teenager at the time.
1: Now you guys all kinda hung around with the age group was like fifteen to twenty, right?
3: Yeah, we all hung around the same group and we went to the same dances and stuff like that. I didn't know Terry Burke. He was a new kid on the block. Another thing I find about strange about Terry Burt is that he had a motorcycle. So he had a driver's license, yet he didn't have his wallet on him. They never found any wallet.
1: And it wasn't at his house either, right?
3: It wasn't at his house either, no. It disappeared. That's bizarre. So, that's basically the story. I mean, it's kind of strange that they don't even want to look for them. They told me they looked, but I don't think they looked for the files. I think the files, if they are available, are still in the Holton courthouse. Mm-hmm. Up Upstairs in the attic or downstairs in the basement, they're somewhere.
1: It's too bad they won't let, let you come and help them look for it, you know?
3: They won't let me in there.
1: No,
0: I don't. I, I feel like I've heard that story before, though, about the, doing remodels and, and stuff getting water damage. I don't know if it's from another event that's happened in Maine or if it's a line from a movie, but it it seems really like almost cliche, like like a mm-hmm. really bad excuse.
3: Well, I think the whole thing is what they're telling me is a big ex- either an excuse or a lie. Yeah, I think they don't really want to look into it anymore because it is getting on to 50 years ago
1: they just want you to go away
3: I'll tell you another little story in, in 19 I'm guessing 87 or 88 I was living in Ontario and I got a phone call from a gentleman that is from the White Rock Arkansas police and he told me at that time that they're investigating about Nine to ten other incidents where people were killed on the same way in the train track in Eastern Seaboard.
1: Wow. Yeah, I know. I've heard the story about the two boys in Alabama that were found.
3: Yeah, they actually caught that guy. Yeah. But they don't know if he's telling the truth or not. But this detective from White Rock, Arkansas, was asking me what I thought of Sheriff Crandall, which I thought was kind of a strange question to ask. Hmm. So, oh. Whether he is trying to point out the incompetence of Crandall doing the investigation or Crandall being involved in the actual scene, I don't know. Yeah, that's bizarre.
1: Yeah,
0: that that takes a, <clears throat> like a mystery movie turn right there, doesn't it?
3: Someone should almost write a book or do a movie about this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they really um. should.
3: But and and we never really got any of the personal belongings back after the accident either
1: oh you got nothing back
3: nothing a dead body yeah In a u.s. army sealed casket gray metal sealed casket that Mm. was it
1: that's horrible
3: and I don't think we ever even got a bill from the funeral home. I think the state of Maine picked that up.
0: Oh, well, they probably didn't want anyone coming back for any reason.
3: I'm under the when I was there, I had was under the impression that Crandall didn't want us there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll we'll cover the bill for you guys, so we don't have to worry about ever talking to you again.
3: That's right. Don't right. ask questions and and do your grieving and leave me alone because I'm too busy. Right. Wow. Sad. And I did talk to the uh, brakeman who's since passed away, he what, lived in Oakfield, and he told me, he said, there was no movement from those boys on that track.
1: So what was his gut feeling?
3: They were dead before the train hit them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that seems to be the reasonable uh, assumption for most people would be that.
3: And why Crandall didn't go and talk to Royden Hunt later, I... I can't understand that either.
0: Was that the gentleman that dropped them dropped them off?
3: Yeah. He never went back to Dr. Royden Hodge.
1: Or check out his vehicle.
3: Or check out his car. Royden told me the boys had what had grass in the back, but that's from jumping the border and their feet got wet.
0: Now what was they, he like? They when had grass when spoke- on their back? Is that what you just said?
3: I said they had grass on their clothing, and then they were wet. Their feet were wet. So there must have been a creek they went through or water of some sort.
2: Hmm.
3: I've also checked out the, uh, the weather for July 9th in Oakfield, Maine. It showered in the daytime, but it didn't rain at night.
0: Then, oh that kind of ruins their story doesn't it that they were, had their faces covered to avoid the rain or the reason why they're on the tracks in the first place because it was supposedly more dry than the ground okay. around it
3: and like I say all three of them are from from Sydney we've seen trains every day mm-hmm. and that one was uh, 19 boxcars long and one engine sad
1: so what was his demeanor like when you spoke to him Randall? No, the, um, this Royden, Royden Hunt.
3: Royden Hunt's in his 70s now, 78. The gentleman that was with him uh, worked at the Irving gas station at the intersection of Highway 2 and 95. He has since passed away. I've heard stories of Royden from other people. Some good, some bad. That he was quite the uh, character when he was in his teenage years. Hmm. He, he has a car lot. He sells cars in, in uh, somewhere outside Oakfield, Smith Falls, or Smyrna Falls, or whatever it's called.
1: Uh, Smyrna Falls.
3: Yeah, he has a car dealership there. He seemed very nice. He did not say to me if ever, if I ever wanted to call him back, to give him a call. He
1: was so it happy didn't to hear it from me. So it didn't appear to you that he was necessarily trying to hide anything.
3: It's kind of hard to get a feeling in someone when you just talk to them on the phone for 10 minutes, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, no, I think that 95% of the people never feel, felt it was an accident.
0: Yeah, I, I think you'd, you'd have to have something wrong in your head or be trying to hide something. Yeah.
3: It's easier for me now 50 years later to speak about it, Right. 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 I mean, for the first 10 years, I was pretty well much in shock and in denial myself. But after getting that email from that sheriff saying this is the end of the problems with Novak, (laughs) it got my back up.
0: Right. Right. Well, you just started some more problems, right?
3: Yeah. And that led me to the death certificates and whatnot.
1: So... And now these are just rumors, but what are some of the rumors you did hear oh, well, the rumors as you're growing up?
3: On, on after the accident? Yeah. Well, we were all 17 and 18 at the time, and everybody was saying it's, it's it was no accident. There's something else involved that we don't know about. I'm the last surviving family member that's been at that accident, scene, And... I went back there two years ago and did speak to a couple of people in Oakfield, and they can't even remember
0: Yeah.
1: And that's kind of why we want to do this, is try to get these cases back out in the public eye.
3: Somebody doesn't want it in the public eye. I I think what they're trying to do, in all honesty, is save the reputation of senior Daryl Crandall, is what they're trying to do. At at the
0: expense of closure for family members
3: they don't want his reputation tarnished. Yeah. Which is sad. My gut feeling, a drug drop that went bad and they, they got caught up in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, anything is more plausible than, than they fell asleep and didn't wake up on the train tracks.
3: I think they walked down the train tracks. I don't think the bodies were dragged at all. I think they were walking down the train tracks and tumbled into a couple of guys and they killed them and put them on the train track. Yeah. And and the. Put three people in between the tracks, that must have been a tough, if they were sleeping, the train tracks are four foot 11 inches wide. You get three people laying side by side in four foot 11 is pretty tough.
2: They're,
0: they're yeah, so they, 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 were, they, weren't in a, they weren't in a line, right? Yeah, they were all oh, beside each other were, on the train. Side by side.
3: Grand yeah, explanation that. Was to that was they were just trying to keep warm.
2: Oh,
1: jeez. Mm.
3: If you're in a sleeping bag, you don't need to be laying beside someone to keep warm. Right. In July. In July. In
0: July.
3: I mean, July. <laughs> I mean it, it doesn't make sense. And there's no tarp over them to uh, protect them from the rain. All there was the sleeping bags. So if, gonna, if it was raining that bad, they're going to get wet.
1: Yeah. What?
3: So go lay under a tree.
1: Shoulder to shoulder, how wide do you think a 15, 17, 19-year-old kid are going to be. I mean, they, they must yeah. be, what, two and a half feet, maybe?
0: Yeah, at least, yeah. But yeah.
3: You, got, you, got you got have to stack them. You must have been stacked one on top of the other.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Unless they're all on their side, and that's the only other way. But
3: it, it doesn't add up. Fortunately, Crandall passed away in 97.
0: So no more getting any information out of him
3: or the two deputies. One was killed later in, in the 70s, car accident, the other one died just shortly in 2017, I believe. Oh, wow. And the new sheriff, I wrote him, he never wrote me back. I even wrote the DA, he never wrote me back.
1: I had read I had read somewhere something about when uh, after Hunt left for the boys that Border Patrol showed up at the ice cream stand or something like within 10 minutes behind him
3: the border grumpy was his name (laughs) his nickname shortly after the accident he got transferred to texas
1: well that's odd or coincidental for
3: some reason he wasn't he wasn't liked by the locals from what I'm told there was only at that time of course long before 9-11 so the border was pretty much wide open right right he missed the boys at the uh, ice cream parlor by 10 minutes, not long.
1: Yeah, so that timing's weird, too. So it was 10 minutes behind the vehicle that took off with their kids. Yeah. How far away from the uh, ice cream stand is the rail tracks? where they How dropped off?
3: Was, Royden said he had them in the car for 20 minutes.
1: Oh, so that's a good all. It is. It is
3: yeah. I'm guessing probably seven or eight miles. He said, that, and Royden also told me they had a roll of cash on them.
1: Yeah, they were but showing it, him the cash?
3: Royce, Royden said, they're in the backseat and they're talking and Royden said they were counting their money. Now, it doesn't take long to count $6, but Royden said there's a <laughs> lot more than $6 <laughs> there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: So, something else that Crandall should have found out.
1: Oh yeah, it was an open shut case for him.
3: Is open shut mm. in fifteen minutes after him being there.
1: Yeah, he must have plans that weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah, he had a bowling tournament or something, right?
3: Maybe missing his family barbecue or
0: something. Yeah,
3: Jesus. He was, he was a very tall man. I mean, I'm six foot four, and I remember him looking me eye to eye. Hmm. And just seeing another hippie, as far as he was concerned. My father liked the man very much. My mother, in all honesty. It took 13 years to kill her, but it did kill her. Yeah. Her youngest son. Mm-hmm. And another one that was paralyzed at the same time. So that was pretty rough with my mother.
1: Now, how many kids were in your family?
3: Seven. Holy. <laughs> he was the youngest of the seven. I'm the second youngest. So it was tough for me to... Go to town after that accident without people coming up, without my friends coming up to me and, and reminding me all the time, right? That was no accident. That was no accident. Yeah, you didn't have
0: to be reminded.
3: Oh, you look—I mean, seventeen. You don't know who to ask, right? Right. Yeah, that's a problem. And fifty years later, nobody really wants to get involved in looking into it much. After fifty years. There's an old saying that if you die 50 years later no one remembers you the problem with me is i never forget
1: <laughs> and you shouldn't and, and,
3: yeah. some, and sometimes i think i'm disturbing their in and, and their death right like by digging into it but i think it has to be done
0: well yeah the, this definitely doesn't seem like just an accident someone is at fault here and you know an answer would be nice
1: yeah, those boys deserve justice. Right.
3: I just think what I'm trying to do, in all honesty, is, is prevent a lack of investigation happening again. Yep. Yeah. You know, I don't want another family or another couple families to go through what three families went through this time. And yeah, that, people-
0: that can cause more more heartache than anything, is a family just sitting there with questions for 40, 50 years, 20, even... 10 10, 20 years it doesn't matter like not not having an answer
3: not having an answer i even wrote the governor and he never wrote me back i think uh
1: 40 50 years ago it's easier to uh get away with taking shortcuts and not doing your job and now there's a lot more follow-up
3: well i think the people are more apt to uh to chase the police to get things done because of things like computers and cell phones and people taking pictures and, and information and evidence and I think fifty years ago, we didn't have that technology or any way of doing that, even the b and a railroad records are are non existing.
0: yeah, that's and, so weird.
3: I mean the, they should have they there should be record summers, but no one no one wants to relinquish or look for them. That's the problem right. I even looked into getting a, a private investigator. That didn't work.
1: Now, what happened there? <laughs>
3: There are, there are some in the last couple of years, there are some newspaper stories about it again spurring some more interest. And of course, I started a Facebook page looking for information or people from Holton to contact me and we got 350 people in there. They want to know what, what happened, right? But nobody seems to want to, uh, any, any official doesn't want to get involved.
0: There's got to be, there's got to be something out there. There's got to be some information somewhere. Someone knows something, you know.
3: Somebody knows something. But they're not talking. Either that, or they're dead. Yeah. I realize mean, so, fifty years is a long time to be looking into something, but something like this is never too late,
1: right? Right. So, Lauren was was this an accident or is this murder?
3: Can you ask me that question. Yeah. Murder.
0: I, I'm i inclined to, to agree with
2: you.
3: Sad situation, but it took me a long time to, uh, to admit that. I wanted to admit the fact that they actually just fell asleep on the tracks. But as I got older, and it's something I don't think about every day, but it's something that's always there. Yeah. And as people get older and, and pass away, that information's gone or... Or whatever. Some people, some family members have told me, leave them alone. They're dead. Yeah, that's not right.
0: No, I, I. If that happened to one of my brothers, I. That would be an unacceptable answer.
3: I'm the youngest, so I some sometimes have to listen to my older brothers and sisters. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm the new baby of the family. Right. Oh. But I appreciate what you guys are doing, not only for me, for but for other people that you're looking into the matter as well.
2: Yeah, oh, I mean,
0: yeah. Hopefully, we we get something out of this for for somebody a little bit of
1: closure.
3: Well, you guys are just south of uh, Bangor, correct?
1: Yeah, uh, about an hour from Bangor.
3: Yeah, I never made it down that far. I only made it to Bangor.
1: <laughs> it's not much south.
0: I <laughs> know there's there's not a whole lot between Portland and Bangor. It's a lot of empty.
3: Well, oh. I'm in British Columbia right now is where I'm living now. We all got the water and trees.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's where I live, too. we're not there, but that same sort of
1: environment.
3: So what made you but move I out that way? Think, you know, I, I've, I'm almost to the end where I've exhausted all my avenues to uh, to look into it, you know? Other than going to the courthouse, but I don't think the courthouse will link me any. I always thought after 50 years, they would give you that information. I always thought after 50 years in the United States, the Privacy Act would no longer follow and they'd give you any information you wanted, but that's not Uh, true in this case.
0: I would, jeez, I don't even know if it's 50. I could be completely wrong, but I I thought it was a lot less than that.
3: No. I don't know, I I could be wrong too. It's kind of hard for me to figure out how the American justice system works with your police uh, You got state police. You got city police. You got this police. You got the FBI.
0: Yeah, sheriffs and
3: border patrol. Gay Morton. We have the RCMP. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of branches.
3: Yeah, we have the RCMP, and that's it. But they're not even after me in my letters.
1: Have you, um, and I don't know how your government works up there by any means, but have you tried to reach out to one of your representatives or anything to see if they can help with this?
3: I've gone after my MPs, my member of parliament. I've gone after the uh, external affairs Canada. They don't answer me back. Hmm. They just either draw and say, this guy's off the wall or we're not interested because no one says anything.
1: Well, I don't think you're off the wall. I think you're right on track.
3: I think what I'm trying to do is, is to find someone that's been around, right? That's 70 years old that knows something.
0: Yeah, and it gets harder with every day, right?
3: And that's why we got that Facebook called Searching for Answers, and hopefully somebody will stumble into it one day and say, well, I know something.
1: Right. So I'm not sure of this, but most towns have a their own Facebook page. I'm sure a Holt must have one. You maybe try to join that that Facebook page and start sharing it. your story.
3: I've done the Holton, I've done Oakfield. Oh, yeah. I've reached out and I've gotten some people that give me information which may be true maybe. I've had one guy that says he lived two miles away from the train track and he heard that whistle that morning two miles and it no woke way. him up there. from his sleep I mean that train must have been making a lot of noise for that 150 feet Absolutely. Well, and,
0: and you know living in a, in a town where there's a lot of trains anyways is, is you can feel a train coming from
3: you know a quarter mile away at least Miles away sometimes.
0: Right. Like that. It just, Especially if you're right on the tracks, that thing's going to be shaking you right out of your
3: freaking socks. Yeah, it'll be waking you up, especially yeah. at, at 7 o'clock in the morning.
1: And yet, not a single one then, of them even flinched.
3: And not a movement. Not yeah. a movement. Well, if, uh, if you had anything to,
0: to say to anyone that has any information, if you had a message for them, what would you say?
3: If somebody called me up and told me they have information that's valid and they know something about somebody I think I'd be on a plane the next day to yeah. talk to the person not that I talk to them on the phone mm-hmm. but no one's saying anything to me other than when I spoke to the brakeman and, and the uh, and read the newspapers. I've approached the Kerry Museum in 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 Holton. They got no information either.
1: So, are your siblings are they connected to this case like the, the way you are? Or are they? No, just kind of let it be.
3: They're, they're all relying on me to find something out. There's only two. There's only three of us left, and I guess I'm the only guy proficient enough or sane enough to look into it. <laughs> I want to spend the time doing it. Now, I'm semi-retired now, but I'm still working fairly fairly regular. So, I mean, I've got people from Cape Breton that told me to keep looking. Yeah. I'll turn up someday. There's, there's days go by that I sit here with, by myself and my wife is at work that uh, I just look through the computers for newspaper stories or something. Even, even the National Rail Board in, in the United States has no information on it part of the problem is is that Crandall didn't have jurisdiction on the railroad line that falls under state police hmm
1: I didn't realize that
3: and and Crandall didn't contact the state police two days later after the bodies were returned to Canada I mean it's too bad that the too bad that Crandall jr doesn't go up and talk to Royden hunt himself sheriff Crandall's son he won't do it or hasn't done it Right. The woman running the uh, Oakfield Train Museum, she's the one still digging for information and sending it to me once in a while.
0: Well, at least you got someone helping, right?
3: Connie Bartlett was her—is her name, the curator of that museum. So, for, for a museum not to have any information when it happened two or three miles from the museum is there's something going on. Yeah, but I'll keep looking, keep digging. Hopefully, before I'm gone, I'll find something out.
0: Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, someone might hear about your story too, right?
1: And
3: yeah. Well, you guys are doing a, a couple stories, I'm told. You got a couple. You got another podcast out there, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, we're gonna do a, a bunch of uh, stories of missing people and uh, starting out in the state of Maine, um, missing people and unsolved murders, and then eventually expanding on out of state.
3: Well, apparently there's some law passed in there that they want some of these cold cases reopened again I don't know what that's yep. all about
1: yeah the main yeah, cold really case squad push. they just passed a uh, a bill to fund the main cold case squad but even that is a couple of detectives that are doing it kind of on the side
0: well that yeah that's what it was is they they were going to pay extra or something like that for two detectives to work on stuff in, in their spare time. So there still isn't going to be fully dedicated to it. But it's something's better than nothing, I guess.
3: My wife was laughing at that statement. <laughs> spare time. A detective shouldn't have any spare time. Right. But I just think there needs to be a shake-up down there, you know, in, in, in a place like Maine. I realize Maine is probably back in the 70s was pretty redneck
0: it's still still kind of redneck <laughs> <laughs> and but there's it, no excuse for for bad police work or, or not looking into stuff thoroughly
3: well uh, I also think because the boys were Canadian it, it might take a back bench you know right and I think that's the the angle that's Daryl Crandall, junior or senior, was was looking at it. They're Canadians and we're not going to waste their time. Yeah, yeah.
1: They're not ours. They're hippies. They're out here doing something they probably shouldn't have been, anyways. Ship them back.
3: I don't know what Crandall thought when when that train engineer said there was no movement on the tracks. I don't know what he thought then. Whether he thought they were that dead asleep from hitchhiking for two days up to Bolton or not, I don't know. So. We can't ask him. He's no longer with us either. Right. Yeah. But that's well, the story. And, and like you say, that letter I got from Medora saying um, this is the end of her problems with Novak, that really got my curiosity going.
1: Yeah, as it would anyone. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your uh, your time, Lauren, And thank you for telling thank us the story.
3: I appreciate your phoning in, uh, and talking to me. All right. Thank you, yeah, Lorne. You have a good night. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: We'd like to thank Lauren Novak for sharing his brother's story. If you'd like to learn more about this case, join Lauren in his Facebook group, Searching for Answers. If you have more information about tonight's case, contact the State Police at 1-800-452-4664.
0: Or reach out to us on our Facebook page at Locating the Lost. You can also leave us a voice message on Anchor FM. The link can also be found on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening
3: led investigators to Alabama this week. So we have some breaking news from Florida.
1: An arrest has been made Tonight, After
2: years of agony, a glimmer of hope for the family.
1: Investigators spent hours searching through this house off Pennsylvania Avenue. What could be a major
2: development in the search for missing Alabama teenager? Tonight, a, teenager. a stunning twist well, in the search for Taylor. Somebody out there knows something. They want to lay him to rest their way, not by somebody else's way.